You are now listening to the hottest true crime podcast in the streets. Hello, 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 and welcome to another episode of Affirmative Murder, the equal opportunity true crime comedy podcast. I am Alvin Williams, joined as always by my partner in true crime, Francel Evans. Oh, yes, yeah, right a minute, Mr. Postman. Yeah, man, I'm the mailman. Can't you tell, man? Gonna post it. What up? Fran. <clears throat> yeah. Season's greetings, man. What's up with uh, you? We're coming off of a, a, a festive holiday, Thanksgiving, Thanksgiving. Yeah. Uh, how was your time with family? How, it was, how, how it was, was that? It was great, man. I feel like um, now that I have my own family, Thanksgivings are better. Do you cook the turkey? No. Okay. I, I didn't think so because no. I know you and I know you can't cook. No. But I was I'm, when you said that, I pictured you being like, clinks, 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 no, sharpening a knife about, and being no, like, no, who no. wants dark meat or you got to kiss, no. kiss the chef apron on? No, I'm no. waiting. <laughs> I'm waiting. I control the TV. I got, got more man. I'm waiting. Got it. But um, as far as like just having my own family, Thanksgivings are way better now. Only only because like my family is not. I have a small family and they're right. not close at all. Mm-hmm. Like before, people don't know this. I used to. Have, I was to roll with you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Thanksgiving. Oh, good times. <laughs> yeah, good times. Yeah, good times. So now I mean, like now I got my own family. It's it's, it's pretty cool though. But how was yours? Mine was cool, man. Um, uh, my mom does a dinner every year mm-hmm. and. We do a uh, Thanksgiving, pre-Thanksgiving in Vegas. Right. So I was a little turkeyed out by the time Thanksgiving Day came, came but yeah. we saw some family and all that type of stuff. And then the, the day after Thanksgiving, my family, we're trying to convince my aunt to make it a, she's only, she's done it for about f- three, four years now. Mm-hmm. We're trying to convince her to do it every year. She has fish fry after okay. Thanksgiving. Mm-hmm. And that's when that side of the family, we all get together and drink and play games and stuff. So that was the day after Thanksgiving. And that was super fun. Um, got a little, you know, got a little too carried away. Got a little too carried away. Yeah. Got a little too carried away. That side of my family can drink like champions, mm-hmm. and so I'm like, man, wait, what? This is on your mom's, my mom's, okay, my mom's mom's family. Gotcha. So they can, you know, they can definitely throw back the libations. So I'm trying to keep up. Also, this is the first holiday, uh, post engagement. Mm. So in order to if it was any kind of lulls, that's when people ask questions. Mm. So I was like, uh, uh, let's keep the party going. Am I right? So I'm like, another round. Just, I'm just like, let's keep it, let's keep it up. Cause yeah. as soon as it's quiet, people start, Hey, where's that? And I'm yeah, like, yeah, yeah. no, so have shot. It's shot o'clock. Yeah. You know, so, shot uh, you know, so I, so I, I, you know, I powered through it in yeah. that, in that regard. And I went a little too hard mm. and I paid the consequences very much. So the next day. Yeah. So it is what it is, but always fun family time, all that kind of stuff. Also speaking of family, uh, you know, this has already happened uh, uh, before this recording, but it's your daughter's birthday weekend. Yeah. Going to Charles E. Cheese's. Yeah. <laughs> Haven't gone yet, but well, we have Sophie, gone. It's Sophie and Max. Oh, it's a combined. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Haven't been to Charles E. Cheese's in. Yeah. I know that I was not legally allowed to drink the last time I went into one. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, I had to be at least 14 years old. Yeah. So I'm very excited to get drunk at a Chuck E. Cheese. And I hope that I accomplish that because, like I said, when this has come out, they can get pictures of beer. Do they? I distinctly remember. I remember. I mean, maybe my, you know, my, my, uh, 
No, my family, I didn't have like a bad family or anything like that. But I distinctly remember, you know, some pictures of beer coming out with the pizza. And then it's like, this is the Coke. Don't touch this. Yeah. I don't think, can, I don't think it's going to be that, though. <laughs> it, it, it is going to be that at my table. <laughs> I'm going to get me a pitcher of beer. It's going to be early, though. It's a, it's a Sunday. <laughs> it's a Sunday fun yeah. day. So well, Charles E. Cheese will be there, from what I was told. Oh, for real? Yeah. He, oh, he's making his rounds. Yes. Is it the there. new one? Because you know they kind of slimmed him out, and made him cool. I think so. Yeah, yeah. I like the big fat, like dirty looking suit. No, I think it's the new one. Uh, I don't really like yeah. that one as much. He's like slim down. He's like he looks more like a mouse. Yeah. I like the Chuck E. Cheese that looked like a rat. When I was a kid, he looked, he looked like a rat. Yeah, he's all his his fur on his suit was all clumped. Like you could yeah. really, it was so textural. Yeah, and he had like this big shirt on, and the hat, nah, the hat was the head was like loose, so wiggle around. Nineties, two thousand. Yeah, at man? least, nah. man. At least, um, last time I was heavy up in the C, uh, CECs. <laughs> um, we're talking at least we're talking at least ninety nine, two thousand. That's the last time you've been. Where I'm like, I went for me? You went for you? Yeah, probably. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, I was seven, eight at, at in 99, 2000. I go there and have a ball, man. You would have thought, you thought we go there for oh, me. Oh, man, they had the Jurassic Park simulation machine. Well, have, I'm incredibly excited yeah. to, to go. Take, I'm taking money on the, the shooting thing. Oh, oh man, yeah, yeah. I'm going to get, I might get sloshed up, you know, off a couple pitchers of beer, hop in the, uh, Take my shoes off, crawl around the tunnel for old times. They don't have that anymore. They don't have that anymore. No. Dang, I can smell feet. Just from just descri- describing it, it's like a sensory yeah. memory. You know, yeah. I can smell funky. They feet. don't have that anymore. I think like somebody, like some child, almost like suffocated in like the little ball pit. So what do you do there now? Games, just games, just games all over the place. They don't have. They got something, some monkey bars have, or uh, something. They no? don't got that no more, man. I yeah. remember stepping in shit one time inside of the tunnel thing. Yeah. Oh no! I had to clean my sock. I never get that. Oh, man. you just you guys just rolled through, huh? You didn't leave after that. No. You just powered through. I just wipe this shit off your sock and go ahead yeah, and get man. back out there and have a good time. Yeah. That's dedication. Yeah. Because <laughs> you pay money to go. Right. So it's, we're not going to let a little shit yeah, spoil the fun. I, didn't even, I just, you just reminded me that they don't have that anymore. I forgot. I didn't know. They don't have that I was, anymore. I was very much looking forward to hearing like, oh, wee, hoo, wee, ha, ha. you know, no. you go down the slide and the thing triggers. Oh, nah, man. No, nah, they, they took all it out, huh? Less out. Some kid just ruined fun for everybody because he almost died. Yeah. And, well, <laughs> I guess I won't get to do that. Que sera, sera. But I will be. Uh, getting day drunk at a Chuck E. Cheese. I just got to not. I got to scratch that off my bucket list, man. I, I have to. I, I have yeah. to for old times' sake. But that's really cool, man. I'm really excited yeah. to see. I haven't. I haven't really seen you too often in dad mode. Yeah. You know, what I mean, you're gonna be juggling kids, taking pictures. You know, do they? I hope they have still the um the little passenger coat seat. That's where you get the pictures the that picture? mom puts yeah, on the fridge. Yeah, like, you got sit in the car next to Chuck E. Cheese. Oh man, that's the. I got I, mine is still around here somewhere. You got my, it. My, yeah, my mom. When I would be bad, she mm-hmm. would tell me that was my twin brother that was good, <laughs> named Justin. He lived in New York. Really? Uh huh. I'd be like, no, why do you, you know? She's like, if you if you keep acting up, I'm gonna send you to New York. I'm gonna bring him here. I'd be like, no, don't, don't leave me. My dad used don't to do send the me same that. Don't send me to thing. New York. Oh, yeah. I don't Is that like a thing? I don't know. Just tell you, there's, there's some better version my of you dad, out there no, who doesn't give you problems. My dad used to be like, you don't get yourself together. I'm gonna send you away. Oh. <laughs> Mine is has more like fantasy to it and it's like whimsical. That just sounds like a just a threat. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So no. I'm gonna send you away. My like, I'm gonna send you away for your your good brother. They still send you away. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> I, I already told you, man, my mom made no illusions about I think she was gonna send me to military school yeah. with that one year. I, I don't even think I was doing anything particularly <laughs> bad, but it was just You was just it was getting on her nerves. I guess it was just getting on her nerves and it was a run of bur- food and shit. Yeah, I was doing a lot of that. <laughs> Kept asking for rice krispie treats, the big box from Sam's Club, spending up all her money. And it was just a run of weird gifts. 
where I was like, what are you trying to say? What was happening here? <laughs> she sent me to football camp. Then it was the, I got a teen extreme Bible for one year. I was like, we don't go to church. And Clippers. So in my mind, I'm like, she wants, I'm shaved my head bald. This is so funny. Shave my head bald, get in shape and get yeah. into religion. And then she got me camel pants. <laughs> when I distinctly told her, like I had a, I had a conversation with her. Like just <laughs> apropos of nothing. I just yeah. was like, I just feel like the need to let her know. Cause sometimes my mom would just buy some shit. Just to be like, I thought you might like this. Yeah. And it'd be trash. Like, you know, like <laughs> shit that I'm like, I'll wear this, but like, this is gonna, I'm gonna get destroyed at school. Yeah. Like, I mean, I'll wear it because thank you, but like, this is not the wave. So I just wanted to let her know ahead of time, like, hey, I don't like camo pants. And she got me some camel pants. So then I was like, okay. She thought, you thought, was she thought I was, she thought, yeah, she thought, <laughs> <laughs> you know what I, oh, ooh. No, you know what I hate mm, <laughs> so much. Oh, it's camo pants. I guess that's what she heard. Yeah, it wasn't that. I was just being earnest, and so so. Imagine my dismay when I opened the box up, and it's the exact thing that I told somebody I didn't like. It was almost like aggressive. It was like, like a, it was a joke. No, like it was oh. like fuck you. Yeah. Oh, so you don't like them? Wear them. Yeah. yeah. It had that kind of energy to to me. That's how I took it because I distinctly remember us having like a two minute, five minute conversation about. Man, I just don't like how they fit. I th- what are we in the military? Funny, I don't get man. it. Why you wear camouflage? And then that's what she I got. She got you, yeah. So it was and a, a Bible, and a bi- not no, a teen extreme Bible, Bible. Teen like extreme. a Bible for the youth. Mm. So be like, man, hey, God's dope. Like, like kids, Bob. Yeah, yeah, yes. It was the kids, Bob <laughs> version of the Bible. Like you know what's super fat? The Lord, Christ, your Savior, and it'd be like kids doing skateboard tricks on the pages. Yeah. It was crazy. I was like, what am I supposed to do with this? <laughs> I read it. Yeah, I guess, yeah, I guess so. yeah, yeah. Culture yourself. Get better. Get better. Taking the word of the yeah. Lord. I didn't do that. Mm-hmm. And then I kept it for like a decade because I was like, if yeah, I throw this was, away, yeah, I'm going to go. Because sinning. But I wasn't though. I mean, gluttony. it's gluttony. Oh, 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 that's good. That's good. Yeah, that's that's like a that's like she a text. Was, that's like a was, that's like a cornerstone sin. Yeah. I just thought like I wasn't being bad in school. She's like, no, you're being like biblically yeah. sin, a biblical sinner. Like you're, you're you're a gluttony. Then she's trying to teach you a lesson. Yeah, man. you just couldn't. I couldn't read. I mean, no, nah, <laughs> the food was calling me. I was like, whatever. Teen Extreme Bible. I might have ate a crispy treat off the book like a plate. I was in a different mo- mode back then. It was just a different beast, a different animal. Oh, we were dealing that's with funny. Back then. Yeah, man, good times. But yeah, man, shout out to all the parents that threaten to send their kids away. Man, yeah. it's always a classic. Uh, ship you, uh, uh, shape you up. Get get your mind yeah, right for at least a couple weeks. That's true. You know, I, it's been a couple of times. A couple of those punishments. Where I might just pretend I'm reading a book yeah. when she walks by, so I'm, she thinks it worked. Mm. That's one of those threats. Come out of your room. Yeah, but if you need me, I'll be in my room studying uh, Harry Potter and the Philosopher's Stone. That's you know? the first book I read when I got punished. I read Harry Potter. Oh, but you actually read it? Yeah. Oh yeah. I was. I guess if that. you fake read long enough, you'll just get into it by accident. I would be like, the door would be open. I'd be like looking. It, as soon as I heard the open? footsteps come up the steps, I go put on like a, a elbow patch jacket. <laughs> Uh, and a, a pipe and, and some glasses and oh, oh mother oh yes mm, she's reading um some Harry Potter yes good uh, good uh, good afternoon so uh, yeah so yeah good times man shout out to all the kids out there you know just trying to stay alive and not yeah. get in trouble uh, Fran um I want to touch on this briefly because I don't know all the facts but I just found this case to be interesting because it parallels a, an affirmative murder that I told here a few months back so I don't know if you heard about this guy Darrell Brooks um. I think it was in Wisconsin, but I'm not for sure. He ran through a Christmas parade in his car. In, in Wisconsin, York? I think. Oh, I, oh, think Wisconsin. I think oh. Wisconsin. I don't know the state, but it was a Christmas parade. When was this? 
like five days ago, like oh. the 23rd of November or something like that. Ran, plowed through a, a Christmas parade, a Christmas parade, plowed through a Christmas parade, killed, I think the tally's up to five or six now, injured Damn. like 23 people. And I saw parallels between this and a story I told about a lady named Priscilla Ford. And uh, on Thanksgiving in 1980, she was in Reno, Nevada, and she just ran down the like main street of Nevada, the gamble, like the strip of Nevada, mm-hmm. and ran over a bunch of people, killed like eight people, injured like 20 people as well. And so what's interesting is, and this is why I tell people, we live in such a polarizing time right now, and everything that you put on the internet is forever. Mm. Don't ever think when you delete it, whatever, it's there. Yeah. It's always there. So Darrell Brooks, uh, he has a criminal history, but nothing of like extreme violence, like just like kind of scammy stuff. Um, he uh, got a, a, a statutory rape charge in somewhere in Nevada, maybe. Um, so he's on the sex offenders list. But nothing of like extreme violence. Mm. But his social media footprint reads no crazier than, and this you, I'm going to speak for myself, but I feel like you can relate to this. It reads no crazier than your most like wild uncle. And what I mean by that is when I say your, like um, around these holidays, you see, you read all these articles about like how to talk to your Trump loving uh, grandfather, white people around the mm-hmm. holidays and just when they start saying crazy stuff. Well, black people have that too. Yeah. Black people have the like, man, you know, white people is this and you know, this and you know, they, what's what they reap, they sow, man. I'm telling you, they coming after us, those kind of family members. Yeah. And his social media footprint reads no crazier than one of those that I have in my family. But, now he's killed a bunch of people at a parade in a predominantly white city. And so they're pulling up his like. So this was a hate crime. That's what they're saying. Mm. Now, it could be. I don't know Darrell Brooks, but I, I, I read somewhere that he was fleeing from the police already. He had some kind of charge or something. I don't know all the full details. Yeah. What I do know is. When they, you know, when they, he does this horrible thing, kills all these people, he should be thrown under the jail. Yeah. But now when you go and look through his Facebook and they find, you know, memes about like Mm -hmm. white people, this and the elect, we live in a polarizing time, right? That's my whole point is like people's, there are people who say crazy things on social media and not until you actually go out and do something. Yeah. Does that become part of your narrative? So they are, they are spinning it into like he drove his car into a parade yeah which that is what he did but depending on the 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 scope in which you look through it it can be this can be very inflammatory because like i said we live in this polarizing time and if we go if we're going yeah darrell brooks is this crazy black dude he drove his car and tried to kill all these white people it wasn't a white parade it was a christmas parade Mm. right so but to the right people on the right wavelengths. And that's why you, I just, I just want to tell people you got to be careful about the way that you narrate a story. Yeah. He did something horrible. Absolutely put him in jail. But if we're going to try to say that this dude got in a car and drove through a parade of white people because he's racist or whatever, then there's a frequency of people who go, Oh, is that what we're doing? Well, it's re- it's retaliation time. Or I'm going to do the same thing. Mm. It's just when you put it into the scope of that, it's, it's, it's very dangerous. And we live in very polarizing, inflammatory times right now. 
and to put it into this narrative that he is a, a black supremacist uh, agent, violent, killing white children because he hates them and whatever is is dangerous. Yeah. And I don't know it to be true. The guy's still alive. He's going to have his day in court. He's going to say whatever his reasoning is for what he did, and we'll find that out. But they started combing through his social media, and you find those memes that we you see on your Facebook page of your uncle or uh, scrolling through your face, Facebook mm. of people. You just go like, oh, okay, I see what they're on. You know, but like you don't think anything of it. Like you're not putting them on some kind of watch list. It's just like a crazy meme or a weird meme or whatever. Mm. He had nothing that I would say is extreme enough that I would say this guy who has a bunch of petty offenses, not that, you know, statutory rape is nothing, but he has nothing like, uh, he has never killed anybody or any type of stuff like that. You know, um, I think he had an incident the week before that where he was something with a car incident as well. Mm. So I just don't, this guy is an idiot, a dangerous person, all of that stuff. But the idea that this was, he drove, he saw a parade of white people and was like, I'm going to go run over all those white people because fuck them because I hate it, them and I'm Why racist. is it different when it's a black guy, though? What do you mean? So if the same situation when white people was doing this for years, doing you know, all these massacres and whatnot. Okay, yes. And at some point it's just like, oh, this happened. It gets swept under the rug and we move on. Why is it when a black person does it? It's like, oh, now it's dangerous. We need to be careful how you look at it and how you, your perspective on it and stuff like that. Why is it? Why is it such a, it's just more of a bigger story when it's a black person that's doing it? Well, when you're coming off the heels of the Kyle Rittenhouse uh, verdict and people believing that this young man, not believing, he drove to Wisconsin or was driven to Wisconsin. His mom put him in a car with a weapon and he went up there to do whatever it was that he went up there to do. And it ended up he sh- him shooting somebody, you know, you know, on the heels of a, uh, a protest slash riot or whatever. And he didn't get in trouble for anything. People are looking for the the comparative version of Kyle Rittenhouse, and this is it. Especially if you can make him out to be a racist against white people, black dude who drove into this parade because he hates white people. Then it's like, see, everybody's racist. Everybody's violent. There's violence again. White people are in danger too. It's not just black people. Don't just say it's people... Kyle Rittenhouse got off and he had a gun or whatever. See, this guy drove his car into a parade. So white people are in danger as well. And this is like a really good opportunity for that. The Ahmaud Arbery verdict, which, you know, those three guys were found guilty, of course. But like those two, those two trials were happening when this happened. And it's like, oh, shit. We can say like, well, look at this. This is kind of like this is kind of like these cases. This is racial violence, huh? Look at this Facebook post he made. I but think he's racist towards white people, and that that's sounds, why he ran those people over. But that sounds like one. That's not like one case that's supposed to overlook five different other cases. Sure. How's that fair? Well, we don't live in a world of fair, man. I get that. We live in a world of spin, and media, and all that kind of stuff. And I just want to make it clear again: I'm not saying Darrell Brooks is like an innocent guy. He right. fucking ran through a parade. Right. But I don't think he. I don't. I don't know. Let me say I don't think. I don't know that he circled that date on his calendar and was like, I'm going to fucking go take my car down there to that white people. That's parade. such a big event. I think you have to, to what? To him, to, to point out that day, like, Oh, this is the day I'm going to just do something crazy. I mean, if, if, if we're saying if that he did it on purpose, what, right, 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 right. But if he was, well, what's not purpose. 
Huh? I don't, what's the what's the opposite of it not being? I don't understand. You say if he if if he was running from somebody and he made a right turn onto a street where a parade That's was crazy. happening, and then he's Noise, like, I need to get away. Barriers? I don't know. I okay. Ain't. Well, then, okay. Well, then, you you sound like you're falling into a category where you're saying he ran these people over on purpose, no. and if that's what he did, then that's what he did. But I'm just saying, the the assumption that they're coming to is not that he ran these people over because he's mentally unwell or whatever. Mm. They're saying, look at his social media. Clearly, this is a a racially motivated attack, mm. and I don't know this to. I mean, I'm not from Wisconsin or wherever this thing is from, but it was a Christmas parade. It wasn't a polish heritage festival or something where it's like yeah this is a white a white this is a white event you know what i mean like it, it wasn't like uh he didn't go drive through the million man march if a white person drove through the million man march i would probably think that might have been racially motivated but i don't know this event so you know maybe this is a in that area there is well known that it's an all white predominantly so white you, event so you saying that him I'm saying he was running his, I'm saying he was running from the like he could have been running from the police trying to get away. From, you think he was running from somebody? Yeah. I don't think I don't, I don't, I don't Or think so. again, it's so very similar to Priscilla Ford who had a mental break because of a stressful life. Yeah. And then one day she just was like, fuck this, and ran over a bunch of people. Yeah. So it could have been that as well. But I don't know if I'm quick to jump to the conclusion that this dude is a agent of racial violence and wanted to run over a bunch of white people that day like intentionally like made a conscious choice to do that i would think that's so crazy and insane that there couldn't have been a bunch of too much effort put into it even when we go into like that girl that was murdered in virginia during those protests uh after the charlottesville when those guys had those torches or whatever there was some kind of protest Mm. and a guy like ran his car through a crowd. Oh, yeah, I remember that. But I genuinely believe that he like probably hit one person and then panicked because everybody's like got skateboards and shit. They're like, get him out of the car. So I was like, well, fuck these people and just tried to blow through the crowd to get away, yeah. which is what he did. I don't know if he, the idea that somebody would just, I just, I don't know. I have more faith in humanity than that. That it just is like something has to be wrong with this person. Like, I don't know if it's just like he made a conscious decision to blow his car through a crowd of people. I think either he's mentally unwell or he was panicking and made a really stupid choice. And a lot of people got hurt and are super fucked up and he's going to spend the rest of his life in jail. Mm. So I don't know. Those are, those are just my thoughts. Yeah. Um, and I just was noticing that the going through the social footprints thing is what they've they've started doing to you know help with their narrative that this was on purpose and he hates white people and whatever and I'm like the evidence of that that I'm seeing is no no crazier than like my most like yeah I probably wouldn't get into a long conversation with that uncle I mean it could be legit though it could be that he just snapped he just was like fuck it that all could be true and he just was like fuck it just yeah. like fucking I mean I don't know if they went I don't know if they went deep with with uh, Dylan Roof but. Him Very to true. go and do that and Very just true. Very true. That's no, that's a good point. Because um He walked was, into an all black church. Yes, yes, <laughs> yes. But he that clearly that guy's fucked up in the head. Yeah. Right. But it was also race a racially motivated yeah. attack. So right. it could also be both. So I stand corrected. That's a good point that you bring up. And yeah. I just I just felt like I just wanted to touch on that for uh, a brief second. But I feel like a lot of people say Oh, not a lot of people, but I hear a lot that I have more faith in humanity. But do we? 
I try to, man. <laughs> like, I mean, I, I know there's a lot of evidence to the contrary, but it's just some stuff when I see, I go, it has to be more complicated than that. It can't just oh, be man. that evil. You know what I mean? Like, it, I like, I go, it can't just be that that person is evil like that. It, it, it has to be CTE or, or something. Like, when you, like, really take yourself back to being, like, 13, 14 years old or whatever, and you hear the Chris Benoit story. Yeah. And you go... This dude did his actual wrestling moves on his kid and yeah. killed his kid and his wife and all that, and then put himself in the wrestling in the uh, workout equipment and killed him. That's no something is something else. It had to be something else. It turned out that it was though. Yeah, you know he has severe CTE from wrestling. So I always try to like I don't know. I always try to go like it can't just be that. It can't just be evil. It just can't. Every I'm sure there's instances of it being that. Adolf Hitler was an evil person. Yeah, who with with a dark plan that almost almost he almost achieved the plan, and it was an evil regime of horribleness. But then I still go, you see something else, a cult, you know uh, that the Turpins up in California, that guy was keeping his kids in the basement. He had mm-hmm. the coconut hair, head haircut. You see that store, and you go, oh man. I, it's got to be something that he he's, he's schizophrenic, something. He can't just be like, man, fuck these kids. I know I had them, but go in the basement. Yeah. And it kind of seems like it was that. But I don't know, man. I try to keep faith in humanity, bro. It's, you got to. You can't just, you can't just like, you can't just go full, you know, pessimistic and like, fuck it. And I don't believe in people. And I just, I can't. I try not to anyway. But. Before you know, we go into the pits of despair. Let's uplift things uh, with some shoutouts. That's right, folks. It's time for some Patreon shoutouts. Much love and appreciation to everybody on our Patreon. Um, it's it's been quite a journey. We're rounding the end of the year, friend. Another year down the drain. No, that's a weird. No, another year finished. You know, yeah. less not, down the drain sounds dark and and and, and negative. Another year, another trip around the sun, man. It's been a hell of a year. You know, we're coming up on December, man. What a time to be alive. You know, COVID is still sticking around and lingering. But we're getting through it. And 2022, I'm super excited. Going to Vegas. CrimeCon 2022. uh, The paperwork signed, sealed, delivered. I think I forwarded that to you. You signed that? No. Okay, well, we're going to check your emails after this. (laughs) And we're going to get that all taken care of. Yeah, please. Anyway, uh, yeah, here we go. Got the list right here. Uh, we're going to kick things off with a big, juicy shout-out to Colleen H. Shout-out to Colleen H. Much love and appreciation. Hope you're enjoying the content over there. For people who have asked, uh, I did a, uh, a short month series in October called Cultober. Uh, all of those episodes from Cultober are available on our Patreon at the serial killer level. They're available indefinitely. Whenever you want to go on there, you just hop on Patreon. They're on there. Check them out. Uh, up next, we got Monica B. Shout out to Monica B. Thank you for signing up on the Patreon. Hope you're enjoying that stuff over there. Uh, bienvenidos. Don't know what that means. Uh, up next, we got uh, Laura S. Shout out to Laura S. Much appreciation. I see you got some uh, bespectacled situation over there going. I wear fake glasses. Um, you know, I just like the look. Who would have thought? You know, time comes back around. You make fun of people for eyes and all this type of shit. Now I'm wearing fake glasses. Everybody yeah. just wants, you know, fashion. <laughs> Something else. Uh, lastly, we got Javiera. Hmm. Javiera, shout out to you. Also glasses. And I don't know if they're real or not. They look like they might be prescription. They look a little... 
little thick up in there, and there's books behind her. So I think she's going for a thing there. Like, she's a studious. Get the bifocals? Yeah, it might be, it might be a bifocal situation. Um, so shout out to uh, all, of, all of those amazing people. And also, let me fade that out a little, a little gentler. Yeah. Also, friend, before we take a quick break, I wanted to um, address our last episode. Okay. Which we have been... Uh, our our Instagram messages have been being hit with some of the like most powerful messages from people who want to tell their story, who are just telling their story, who might not feel comfortable because you know for people who don't know our last episode, who haven't listened to that last episode, uh, we had people call in and tell us about their experiences, just as people, uh, feminine presenting people, and walking around the world and society and just their struggles with you know unwanted attention and horror stories of attacks and almost attacks and it was just very powerful and we just wanted to listen and and, and understand those stories and since that episode so many people have told me some of the most powerful things some of them are like i'm not i don't want to call in and tell this but i want to tell you i don't i'm I'm, i don't want to tell it to the world but i want to tell you this and um i want to let people know that we're definitely going to do something like that again uh soon hopefully because um I didn't realize how needed it might have been just for somebody to just say that out loud. Yeah, to get it off know, their chest. Just get it off their yeah. chest, you know, and it felt good to be that conduit for somebody, for multiple people. And um, I am grateful and honored and just just appreciate people trusting us that way to just to call us and have a laugh, but then t- tell us you know, something really messed up that happened to them, but also laughing about it within it at moments, you know, just being able to just talk about it and not Mm -hmm. feel like ashamed or like it was their fault. Like can just really talk about it openly and and talked about it openly with us. And I just, I'm just, I'm appreciative of it. Yeah. What were your, what were your thoughts after that? Cause I know you really enjoyed that episode. Yeah. I had a great time, man. It was just, um, it was very touching. And like you say, honor for, you know, those, those listeners to come on and, to tell us about their experiences and how, you know, they progressed and moved on from that and how they deal with it, you know, then and, and now. Um, I thought it was great. It's just it's a different being a a guy, it's just a different insight on those situations where you go. We go, like you say all the time, you know, some stuff we take for granted as as men that women can't do the same thing. Yeah. As far as like appearance and what they have on and certain activities they do throughout the day. It's just like that's just that's a different world that they have to deal with. And that's, and just to hear that it was crazy. And then now I know that I have a daughter too. So I got to take that into account and make sure to educate her on those type of things as she gets older. So I thought it was dope, man. I learned a lot really. For sure. Yeah. Uh, it was definitely uh, uh, an incredible learning experience and we'll be looking to do that again soon. Like I said, so there were people that we tried to call that didn't go through. Yeah. There were people who I had a, made arrangements to call that just I didn't get around to because we it was a time constraint you know we it was over two hours that episode yeah so you know next time around I'm gonna reach out again and um anybody that wants to tell their story this platform is open to you when we when we do that again next yeah. time so um thank you to the people who shared and and I'm um, looking forward to hearing other stories and just you know help helping other people understand how you know we can make a small change in society yeah. that can make a big difference in raising awareness is, is is a big thing absolutely uh what we're gonna do is we're gonna take a quick break and when we come back it's one of our turn to tell you guys some fucked up shit so stick around
All right, and we are back. Uh, me and Fran were discussing off air, and last week's episode was a different format. So neither of us told a story. So I'm going to go ahead and, and go first this week. Uh, Fran, my affirmative murder this week was um, a suggestion from a listener. So shout out to Hannah W., who emailed in and, and uh, told me about this story. And um, yeah, she's uh, they 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 sent me a link to uh, ClaytonJacksonMcGee.com. And as well as another site, which was uh, like... A, Is that a person? It's three people. Oh. And I'll get into who the three people are. Right. So that was my source, one. And then the other one was like a Duluth newspaper. It's, the story took place in Duluth, Minnesota. So um, my affirmative murder this week is the story of the Duluth lynchings. Mm. Uh, again, thank you to Hannah for bringing the attention to me and letting me know about the story. Uh, I'd never heard of it before. So thank you very much. On June 14th, 1920, the John Robinson Circus pulled into the city of Duluth by train and was greeted by an eager crowd excited for the festivities. They were in town for a street parade and one day of performances. On the warm summer night of June 14th, 19-year-old Irene Tuscan and 18-year-old James Sullivan attended the circus together. Young people, yeah. you know, some rides, some sideshows, <laughs> a mirror house, that type of stuff. You know, it's, it's yeah. just it's a summer night, you know, so... Just a, just, a, just a typical summer night in Duluth, Minnesota, a place I probably will never go to. But anyway, um, <clears throat> at the end of the evening, the pair walked to the rear of the, main, of the main tent. Nobody is sure what happened next. But in the early morning of June 15th, Duluth Police Chief John Murphy received a call from James Sullivan's father saying that six black circus workers had held them at gunpoint and then raped Irene Tuscan. Little evidence will be found to corroborate these claims. The police arrested several men, but neither Tuscan nor Sullivan could identify any of them. An examination of Tuscan that morning by Dr. David Graham, who was a family physician, showed no physical signs of rape nor assault. And we're talking about an, an alleged gang rape, right? He said mm. six men assaulted this girl. Yeah. Um, Those are six black men. In six black circus workers behind the, a tent at gunpoint while the guy is standing there. That's what they're alleging. No, no physical evidence on either of them. Uh, nevertheless, 13 of the men who uh, were taken into custody to the Duluth jail uh, as likely suspects. So they just they just rounded up 13 black people. <laughs> they, it was it was alleged that six. It was like, yeah, it was like, hey, we need six of y'all to be guilty of this. So we'll just take 13 and we've got some extra ones for, you know, for good luck. Already being reported to the local newspaper, news of the alleged rape spread rapidly. That evening, a white mob estimated at nearly 10,000 people gathered on Superior Street outside the police station, demanding that officers turn over the prisoners. Keep in mind, this is the day after there's been no due process. They have 13 people and they are alleged that it was six. So they don't know who is who. Yeah. But they want they them. Black. Yeah, they want the they want them. Yeah. The city's public safety commissioner ordered that the 12 officers inside of the precinct in, uh, holster their guns because, you know, because it is it is it is assumed that uh, he didn't want any uh, of the white men's blood spilled. So they the, the police officers were ordered basically to stand down mm. or at least not to use lethal force. I mean, their recruit game is 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 off the charts, man. These mobs. Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, keep in mind it's 1920, and it's like some fucking. I know, but I'm jigaboo. Yeah, but rape, raped a girl, a white woman. Yeah, it's but like they man. call, but they call like they throw out an alarm, like 
this happened over here in this town. But oh, they, well, they live can't. In this t- well, and they like, oh, they come over here. You also got to keep in mind, like, they can't wait. I know. This is like, this is fourth of just summertime. Yeah. It's like, oh, we had a circus two days ago, and now we get to drag some black people through the street? What a weekend. This is like Christmas in July. Yeah. <laughs> they couldn't wait for this. This is like, exciting. Yeah. But, I mean, they tell everybody and people from all over come. Yeah. It's like, y'all don't even live in this town. I don't town. even know this girl or the guy. I don't even live here. Yeah. He just told I me just heard, a, yeah, I just heard it was a good time. And yeah. And I was here. I just heard, heard it was some fun. <laughs> some fun. Yes, yeah. <laughs> Wait till you, oh, I'm not even, I haven't even gotten deep into it, how fun, how much fun they had. So wielding bricks, rails, and heavy sticks, the mob forced its way into the jail after a few hours long standoff, tearing down the doors and breaking windows. The mob wanted six men, but were only able to break into three cells. So really now you're just playing an odds game. So, I don't think it's based on the evidence from the doctor and everything. Like, there's no corroboration that any of these men did anything wrong. But they just happened to break into three cells when there's 13 men there. So it could have been any any three men of the 13. Like, none of those men even have any kind of relation to each other. So they just grabbed three men of the cells that they were able to break into. So they might have been trying to break into all 13 (laughs) and you just had the bad luck of the draw if your cell is older than the other ones and they pop the lock on yours. Fucked up, man. Right. That's what I'm saying. I mean, this is all fucked up. But think about that. Like some of those guys just were fortunate enough that they couldn't break into their cell. You know, because I mean, if they could break into all the cells, they probably would have took all 13 of them out. Yeah. Realistically, thousands of men outside. So they just could only get into three cells. So basically, they were just taking whoever they can get. They were taking whoever they could get. Somebody's six. They wanted six men to answer for this allegation, but they could only get three cells open. Mm. And after a hasty mock trial, which, you know, what what kind of trial? It really, realistically, right there on the spot. But they had some kind of deliberation, that uh, allegedly. Mm. They had some kind of deliberation, deliberation right there on the spot. And after a short period, uh, three men were declared guilty. Isaac McGee was the first to be pulled out, dragged up a hill, and hanged from a streetlight, mm. beaten and bloodied. A streetlight? A streetlight. Elmer Jackson and Elias Clayton were next. The Minnesota National Guard, oh, also, they, uh, the whole crowd, they took pictures and all that type of, you know what I mean? It was one of those type of things. Like, like I said, you this know, the, when they had the fun. Yeah. You know, postcards and the kids were out there roasting marshmallows. It was that kind of energy out there. Uh, the Minnesota National Guard arrived the next morning to restore order in Duluth and to protect the surviving prisoners. These prisoners, along with 10 additional black suspects from the circus, were moved under heavy guard to the St. Louis County Jail. Although the city streets were now calm, not everyone felt safe. Black residents stayed inside and locked their doors, fearful of further violence. And you have to keep in mind, this is the 1920s. You've told several stories on this podcast about massacres that came that stemmed from a guy punching a white guy a guy yeah. shooting a white guy and then they just go man let's just kill all the black people in this town everybody tonight is gonna die and that was the energy in this town on this night was like black people were discussing like hey let's just stay in the house it's a bad night to be black on the streets crazy and it's like but i didn't do i knew that i don't even know if anybody did anything this is an allegation there's been no no trial nothing but it's a bad day to, to to be seen by angry white people because they might just go, you probably are related to them. Yeah. It's that kind of, it's that kind of like yeah, it's that kind of energy, which is terrifying. Yeah. The lynchings made headlines in newspapers throughout the country. 
Many were shocked that such an atrocity happened in Minnesota, which was a northern state. So they're, they're used to these kind of stories from down south, Alabama's, the Mississippi's or whatever. But Michigan, allegedly, is up north. So they are good or whatever. You know, we're not, not race, racist. racist. We, don't, we don't deal in racial crimes. We don't lynch people. That's, that's what those sickos down south do. So this is a big stain on Minnesota, actually, because mm. they're supposed to be the north. This is where people go to escape that kind of stuff. Really? That's what they say. But I, we, I have a comparison that, you know, a fairly, a fairly known story that happened in Minnesota in 2020 that would beg to differ. But anyway, um, so like I said, the lynchings made national headlines because it's a northern state. Many citizens of Duluth were similarly outraged. Dentist Milton W. Judy a prominent black Duluth, a, a prominent, oh, this sounds like a race of like a vampire race, a prominent black Duluthian. That's what they call mm, That's what Duluthian. they're called. I like that. It yeah. really, it's like very like uh, um, mythical. One of those Kate Beckinsale movies. Um, he wrote in a newspaper, Duluth has suffered a horrible disgrace, a blot on its name that can never be outlived. But see, friend, that's the thing about time and suppression, right? With those two things, like you got time on your side and you got suppression on your side. No blot, disgrace, stain is incapable of being removed. This happened in 1920, and at the time, the people of Duluth thought, we'll never recover from this. This, is, this will live in infamy. Mm. And the person that emailed me this story emailed this to me because she, she lives there and is like, this is not talked about at all here. This is like, it's like it never happened. Mm. There's a memorial there, but it's almost like, in order for us to get back to being Minnesota, the North, we have to move past this because this makes us look bad. So let's just not really talk about it. So is it, uh, what's the term? Is it taboo? Um, is, 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 it's, is, it's something that's not talked about, but black people talk about it. And okay. I'll get into that. Black people have talked about it and have been talking but about when, it for generations. When, I wanna know but like people, the politicians and I mean, the right, history I, books. I mean, when people bring it up, is it like... You know why? Is, why are we talking about this again? You know what I mean? Yeah, probably. I like feel like race, that's probably like a race thing. Why yeah. is it always about this? Something yeah, like probably it's something like that, mm -hmm. or even more so than that. It's it's more like Freddy Krueger, where we just don't, or Voldemort. Like we just don't even, we just act like it didn't happen. I wonder what the memorial looks like. It, it's very nice. It is. It's very okay. nice. It's very nice. So not everyone expressed regret. However, despite lacking evidence, some believe that Irene Tuskin was raped. And that the three victims, although never tried in court, were guilty and deserving of their fate. The Mankato Daily Free Press, referring to the three black men as beasts in human shape, asserted that the triple lynching was advantageous to a fair trial. One man even being quoted as saying, mad dogs are shot dead without ceremony. Beasts in human shape are entitled to but scant consideration. The law gives them far too much of an advantage. Basically saying, when you know somebody's guilty and they have to go through a trial, it's, it, it, it's, all it does is take up time. They don't deserve a fair trial. We know they're guilty and they deserve to be shot in the, in the street like dogs. Mm -hmm. That's what they said after this trial. Even though there was no evidence, they didn't even have it. There was no trial. There was no evidence, no trial. And in the, in the, the whole of or a, par, a, a, a portion of Duluth goes, yeah, I know that, you know, probably, you know, next time we should give them a fair trial or whatever. But they're rapists. We know that for next sure. Time. We know that for sure, even though there's no evidence. We know that, so fuck them. And they deserve to get murdered in the street because they're beasts, and the world doesn't miss them. That's what they. That's what they were saying about them. And Holy like, shit! They got pictures of it. Of the of the lynchings. Yeah. Yeah, I told you. Yeah, they took pictures at the. Yeah, it was, it was a celebration. They smiling and shit. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. Oh yeah. Got a leg. In the months that followed, 
Juries in Duluth convicted three of the white men involved in the lynching on rioting charges. The longest sentence served was two years. No one was convicted of murder. But one black man who worked for the circus named Max Mason was convicted of raping Tuscan, despite no firm evidence linking him to the alleged crime. Mason always maintained his innocence and twice applied to have his sentence pardoned. The St. Louis County attorney admitted that Mason would likely not have been convicted if he had been a white man, but his requests for pardons were denied. Eventually, he was released after serving five years on the condition that he leave Minnesota for his home in Alabama and not return to Minnesota for at least 16 years. They banished him from Minnesota. And I did research and banishment is still a crime or is still a, a viable punishment for a crime in the United States today. It's mostly practiced in Kentucky and Georgia, a couple of other states. And um, they just ban you from the state. Yeah. Two of the biggest crimes that is for are, are, are prostitution or sex work. And, um, uh, uh, like domestic violence, but they can just go, Hey man, hit the road, Jack. Don't come back for 10 years. I didn't even, when I read that, I go, what the fuck? They can just tell you, you can't come back somewhere. Well, they can, they can keep you in a state though. So it's not that crazy. You know, probation, you can't leave. So I was, yeah, I guess from that point of view, yeah, I guess so. But it's just weird. They can just go, just, you got, get out for 16 years. Mm. Now, what I will say is that definitely affects people. You know, if you if you have a job in that state, right. it, you know, if you have a family, whatever, the idea that b- being banished from there can really ruin somebody's life, especially somebody that's Unless on that cusp. Huh? Unless you deserve it. Yeah, but sure. Like, but my whole idea is like, well, who does what? Who deserves that? Who deserves? Who is this reserved for? This man served time in prison. Mm-hmm. Some, a lot of people believe unjustly. I b- also believe they served five years of his life in prison, and they let him out. And and man. then on top of that, he had to leave the state for sixteen yeah. years. You know, like what is he served his time? That's what I'm saying. Like I don't know who deserves to be. It's such a weird punishment. You know what I mean? That's what I mean. It's not like I'm not even it's saying like, it's excessive or yeah. or or like hurts people like explicitly. I'm just it's just like what? Just some extra shit. You, know, you like, just can't. You, you just, just have to. We hate you so much. The idea is like, it's like we can't charge. We can't put nothing else on them, but we can put this, and they just find it at the back of the book. Yeah, like, we can do this. And the idea is like, okay, they believe if they if they're saying we believe this man raped a woman, if we banish him, that's one less rapist in the state. That's the idea behind it as well. Okay. You're a murderer. You got out. You're banished. So now there's not a murderer in the state. Yeah, is the idea. But it's like, I don't know. It's just a weird punishment. Anyway, Max Mason's name was largely forgotten until in June of 2020, when the Minnesota Board of Pardons voted to clear Mason nearly 100 years to the day that Clayton, Jackson and McGee were lynched in Duluth. It was the first ever posthumous pardon granted by the state of Minnesota. Now, Frank, can you tell me what happened in 2020 in the state of Minnesota? George Floyd. That's right. George Floyd. George Floyd was uh, murdered. Uh, in in the year 2020, so it is a little bit, and this happened after this uh, posthumous mm. exoneration, pardoning, whatever, and it just feels a little tainted. While I was reading it, I go, "This might have been for the optics," mm. where it's okay. like, "See, like I know this Crazy. thing happened to this black guy here recently, and it was bad, but let's try to write 
some other wrongs. Yeah. It, it just it just feels like oh shit, let's do this let's do something. to try to make it yeah. smooth it over a bit. After the initial trials in the 1920s, the lynchings largely faded from public memory, except in the loose black community, where over the years residents would quietly share the history with people who had newly moved into town. As I was stating to you, Fran, Minnesota is also the same state where George Floyd was murdered in the streets like a beast, quote unquote, as they uh, described the three men who were murdered. They were beasts and they deserved it or whatever. George Floyd was killed very similar to that out in the streets. And to the people with the luxury and the privilege of forgetting the history of America, the anger and the pain that they saw in the streets that year of 2020 might have seemed unnecessary or even like an overreaction. But to a community who has lived with, shared, and carried the pain of Isaac McGee, Elmer Jackson, Elias Clayton, and countless other names, 2020 was simply a glimpse into the hundreds of years of suffering that have been passed down generation to generation by those who have witnessed and experienced the torment of this country firsthand. Now, um, while I was reading the story, it because it, I, I think we've discussed like generational trauma on this podcast from time to time. And over the weekend, I was going to the gym. You know, I just moved into this condo complex and they have recycling trash cans, like dumpsters for the residents. So I had some stuff that I bought, uh, like a table and some stuff. And I was taking the recycling to the table, I mean, to the recycling bin. And I pulled my car over and I'm dumping the stuff in the recycling bin. And this guy pulls up to me and he's like, hey, these, these dumpsters are for residents only. And I go, well, I'm, I'm a resident here. So it's outside the gate. No, no, it's in the gate. Oh, so the gate was open. And the boxes, I drive a, like a car. Yeah. It's a huge box that couldn't fit in my car. So I had the box on top of my roof mm-hmm. and I was holding it with my hand. Yeah. He saw me pull up. So already I, when you say that to me, you're saying you clearly drove this or I don't, he didn't outright say I didn't live there, but he's, a, he's a, uh, coming to me because he believes I don't possibly, I don't live here. Right. So he's already, he's going, this guy drove here from who knows how far away holding a box on top of his car with his hand to dump it off in this dumpster in this gated community. So I told him, well, I do live here. I continue taking the stuff out of my car to put it in the recycling bin. He goes, uh, well, where do you live? I was about to yeah, yeah, it didn't. It wasn't over. Like you would think like, oh, I do live here. Okay, you have a nice day. Happy Thanksgiving. Yeah. Goodbye. No, it goes, well, where do you live? I don't have to answer that question, but I go, I live in such and such and such and such. I told him. I tell him where I live. Just to be like, just leave me alone, man. Yeah. And then he goes, well, there's no sticker in your window because they have parking stickers. I just go, look, man, my st-. but at this point, like, I'm, sh- I'm shaking because I'm, like, angry. And what I want to do is cuss right. him out. But um, I go, the sticker didn't come yet, man. And I guess at that point, he realized that it was starting to turn into a conflict. So he got, he got back in his car and he drove away. But then him driving away, now I'm left with that. Yeah. I have to park my car. And I wanted him to stick around because the gym is right next to the recycling bin. And you need a key to go into the, to the gym. Mm-hmm. So I wanted him to just feel stupid and see me. And we'd be like, oh, I, you, you think I stole a key? I don't live here. And you think I stole a key to get into the gym too? Yeah. But the idea that it's like I wanted this, this vindication yeah. I'm, and I'm left. He's gone now. I'm shaking because I'm like mad. But it also is like this. It's like this fear. Yeah. It's like this. It's this like innate genetic. You're not supposed to be here feeling yeah. that he gave me. And then he got to just go about his day. And that's what and that's what. The thing about this story is what makes me mad. Just hearing that, that same situation in any other story. It's just like, 
that person can confront you about something mm-hmm. and then just was like, well, I'm yeah. going to go I don't have get time some for coffee this. or whatever yeah. I do. Mm-hmm. And we are left with, with, you know, of being angry, upset, mm-hmm. annoyed. And it's like, that's something you, it's, it's going to stick with you. Yeah. Not just the rest of the day. That might stick with you for a couple, with a, for a couple weeks. This happened days ago. Right. I'm still upset about it. Right. And I go to, you know, enjoy my workout. And every couple of minutes, I'm going and looking out the window to make sure he didn't call somebody to tow my car. Yeah. Because he could just, he might be able to just do that. Cause, hey, I think it's some guy. Yeah. I don't think he lives here. His car, this kind of car, I want to have it towed. Yeah. So I have to now be on high alert and looking out the window while I'm just, I'm just, I was just enjoying my, I was just living my life and right. going to do my thing. And now you imposed yourself into my life and now have left me with like this anger and yeah. this fear yeah. and whatever. And then also at the same time, this is why a lot of times it's like black people feel crazy. Because if I would have gone, if I was some old white lady, you wouldn't be asking her why she was putting dumpster recycling. But then he goes, I ask anybody. Like, he can just say that. Right. He could just go, I would have asked anybody. And then now I'm the guy screaming racism and, and I look crazy and I'm cussing this guy out in the streets. Yeah. And it's now I'm the bad guy. Yeah. You know, so it's just, it's those kind of scenarios that are hard to explain to people. It's stressful too. And then you got to try to not turn up. Because I didn't. Right. I wanted to. Could've. I could have. Yeah, right, I right, wanted yeah, to. Yeah, sized them up. Could have dusted them off nicely, too. <laughs> I like an easy fight, too. I love, like, you ever been in those situations where you go, oh, let this go wrong, because this is going to be fun. <laughs> it was one of those. I was, But, like, I'm wrong. I'm wrong in that situation. Yeah. So, I got to go, I live, let me tell you my address and not ask you where you live. Why don't I ask you? Why do you get to ask me? Do you live here? I didn't even do any of that. I just yeah. was like, I live here. Let me answer all your questions. Let's get this over with. I don't know why there's more than one question. I told you I live here, but you get to ask me two more questions and I'm going to answer them for some reason. Yeah. But I did. And then he sensed the conflict was happening. So he just went about his day. So, yeah. So I say that to say people will see the events that happened in 2020. Even the events that happened that led up to Kyle Rittenhouse shooting those people. Mm. And they'll go like, oh, they're burning trash cans, this, that, and the third. I'm not out here to defend people destroying things or whatever. But what I will say is, it's deeper than Jacob Blake. Mm. It's deeper than Ahmaud Arbery. It's deeper than George Floyd. It's, it's just in you. And you can't even explain why it's in you. We talk about this, we talk about this on the podcast about people, a lot of black people don't know how to swim. And then you take it back, you know, you start doing your research and you end up at some pool that racist white people were pouring bleach into. So all the black people left the, left the public pool and never went, went back to the public pool. Yeah. So a whole generation of people just stopped swimming and then they had kids and their kids, kids, and they all got told those stories. But eventually the story, it's like a game of telephone. The first generation of those kids after the, you know, Oh, uh, my, my grand, my granny was the best swimmer in the state, mm-hmm. but then they shut down the public pool. Cause you know, they didn't like uh, congregating with black people at the pool. So it became a whites only pool. So the next generation hears that story from granny about the whole detail about the bleach in the pool, yeah. all this type of stuff. But then you go another couple of generations and it's just like white people are dangerous. Yeah. White people do this. White pe- and then you have this fear of the man. But all of those fears stem from like real stories. Mm-hmm. But we are the byproduct, I would say our generation and maybe even my mom's generation. So like that, those two generations are, have a lot of vague stories that come from real stuff, but like 
we don't have like a specific incident to describe why my grandmother or my uncle doesn't go to doesn't trust hospitals. Yeah. It's just like we die in there. It's like who dies? I don't just we all do, but every black person. But if you if you start digging, you'll find the stories because they happened. You know, so um again, I'm not here to defend, you know, rioting or violent. I'm not here to defend any of that. But what I'll say is that anger is palpable. It's right there at the surface. And it's a lot of angry, you know, people uh in this country who don't even really know why they're angry, but they but they feel it in their bones. The same way I felt in my bones, I wasn't just, you know how many, you know how many, uh, how, how many friends I have that if some dude was like, like, let's say like I have friends that used to skateboard and do all that kind of stuff. And if they were skating somewhere that they weren't supposed to be like in the wrong, they're in the wrong. And some adult is like, Hey, you're not allowed to skate here. It's like, all right, man, whatever. Yeah. Like just breeze off of them lightly conflict. Yeah. They don't feel any type of thing. Of anything. It's like, whatever, man. Have a whatever. Fuck off. Or whatever type of shit. Yeah. They're wrong. You're not supposed to be skating here. <laughs> I'm an uh, adult person li living somewhere. And I was shaking as an adult because I got confronted about something and made to feel like I didn't belong somewhere. Yeah. For even a small, for like a, for this was a 30 second interaction. And it, it left an imprint on me. But those feelings... It wasn't just some dude telling me not to use the recycling bin. What I was feeling was deeper than that. Right. And I might not even have the words to really even describe what I felt. Because I, I might not even really know what I felt. But I know it felt like I was being told to get out. Yeah. And it, that didn't feel good. And it felt deeper than the, the recycling bin is for only the people that live here. Do you live here? It was deeper than that. I can't explain how, but it was. And there's a lot of people who saw George Floyd land on the street and can't explain why they felt how they felt. But it was deeper than just like, oh, some dude got killed by the police. Yeah. It was primal, you know? So it's hard to explain anger like that. Yeah, it's like just like when I was like a couple years ago when I told you about, you know, some white people was dropping pads and yelled the N-word out yeah. while I was at work. And it was like, uh, now it's like, I know what they, that it's like, Whenever I think about it, I go, it was happening on a day where it's like they have this this parade yeah, every year uh -huh. or whatever, this fair or whatever. So, and then it's like, whenever that day come, I go, oh, shit. These, those people about to come around. Yeah. And it's like, I don't even, I don't even want to be in that area. It's like, it's like that day I go, I need to, I need to avoid yeah. that area because of what That's happened. triggering for you then. Right. Yeah. Because of what happened a couple of years ago. Yeah. Like just- Cause you, you know we like we do the stories all the time and then hear the anywhere all the time, but to actually experience it and where you go like you haven't had to experience it before, but then when it happens you go, oh that's the real, those stories you've heard or whatever is that's real. Yeah, and it happened to me just now and it's like that shit fuck with you. But again, when that same day comes around every year, I go, oh I'm gonna just avoid that whole area because I don't even I don't even want to, I don't want that energy to be around me anymore. Yeah. So. And that's that's it's a crazy feeling. Yeah. yeah it's 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 a really crazy feeling yeah. that's it's it's hard to explain. So I hope I did a okay job of trying yeah. to explain to people um a glimpse into it. But again, I always think of whenever I think about it, I go, they wouldn't have did that if they were if they were walking. It's, it's like Yeah. Dude, oh man. You, oh. But again, that's the that's that's the that's the anger in you because you feel like 
chumped or right. taken advantage right. of or made to feel small in some kind of way. That's that's what you have to tell yourself. Yeah. And for me, it's like, yeah, you better get in your car. Yeah. That's me trying to compensate right. because what that guy had in that scenario was stronger than any fist I have. And I don't want him to have had that, but he did. I'm sitting here shaking and answering his questions without without a second guess. I didn't go, man, fuck you. Right. I live here. I don't have to tell you anything. I answered his questions. I was mad. I was shaking. You know, I didn't want to answer his questions, but I did. So his power was greater than strength or like yeah. physicality or any of those type of stuff, you know, those types of things. What he had in that moment was way, it was way stronger than but that. But those hurdles that we have to go through to comfort ourselves, to go... I could have fucked him up. Like, oh, yeah, yeah, it's, oh. it's crazy. That's, that's what you crazy. have to, that's how I have, I have to lean on that to try to make yeah. myself feel, you know, as gross as this sounds, like to make myself feel like a man. Right. Because exactly. I felt like a child. Yeah. Like, he made me feel like a boy. Yeah. You know, and it was, it was emasculating. Yeah. But in my way of trying to get my masculinity back is like, but I'll fuck you up though right, right here in this parking lot. Like that's all I had to lean on because what he had was stronger than that. And he and he made it. He made me feel it in a in an instance yeah. with no effort, just like with three questions, you know. So, I get that. It's like, you know, these people riding by in a truck say this horrible thing to you, and you're to defend yourself in your brain. You go, yeah, oh yeah, you better keep driving down the road and say it while you're speeding past me because right. you wouldn't say it to my face. You know, it's, it's a defense mechanism. So in 2003, the Clayton Jackson McGee Memorial was erected on the corner of East 1st Street and North 2nd Avenue in East Duluth. And it commemorates the victims of the only known instance of lynching of African-Americans in Minnesota. Although the murder of George Floyd is considered by many as a modern day lynching. So um, that was the story of the Duluth lynchings. Uh, rest in peace to those three gentlemen. And, you know, prayers to anybody who was a victim of violence in that night. And prayers to anybody that was a victim of Violence from lynching is a countless list. We don't even have a full record of all the lynchings that took place in this country. So prayers to them. And uh, yeah. Any questions? Nah, man. It's the first time I heard that story. So that was, was a good story. Yeah. So thank you again. Thank you again to Hannah who, um, you know, informed us about it by email. Um, much appreciated. And uh, yeah, what we're going to do is we're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, it's Brand's turn to tell you guys some fucked up shit. So stick around. Welcome back. It's my turn to go. So my story is similar to yours. Mine is about the Somerset lynching, truth, and re reconciliation. And this, uh, I got this from um, the, the Somerset lynching .wordpress .com mm -hmm. website. And this is about George Shelton from 1923. Mm. So George Shelton executed June 1923 in Baltimore for crime in Somerset County, Maryland. George Chelton was the first person executed under the new law requiring executions executions be held at the Maryland Penitentiary in Baltimore rather than local areas, as was the previous practice. So Chelton was convicted of assault on a young white girl. The January 20th, 1923 edition of the Chrisfield Times includes fears of lynching. Fearing that lynch lynchers would administer a swift justice upon George Chelton. So your story you talked about. Those guys going into the the precinct, look, they did the same exact thing for this dude. Mm -hmm. uh, they put the call out. Crazy. Get a mob and we just going to go down there and, 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 and yeah. get this dude ourselves. We'll convict him. Right. Yeah, so he was um, committed a, a felonious assault on a young white girl. Somerset County officials had the, had 
the accused man removed from the Baltimore City Jail for safekeeping. Mm. So, as what they say, this is quote, the Negro was removed from county jail Monday night and taken to Baltimore by Sheriff uh, Chaz S. Drayden shortly after, after his removal, a mob of lynchers recruited from different parts of the county is alleged to have visited the jail in an effort to get the Negro. When informed that the man they, they wanted had been removed from the jail, the, lyncher, the lynchers were alleged to have demanded the, jail key, the jailer's keys after which they made a search of the building. Upon being convinced that Sheldon, that Shelton was not in the jail and the mob dispersed without demonstration. So they went in there, mm-hmm. mob, told these jailkeepers, hey, give us the keys. Just, and they out of fear, I guess. See, that's the part I was going to say. Is it fear? Well, I was going to say, all of this is a, is alleged because in reality, they could have just been like, hey, what's up, Mike? Go ahead. Yeah, you yeah. know what I mean? Like, that that's the I other scary, that's the other scary part that where it's, you know, if you're uh, Mr. Chelton in this scenario, you have to trust this guy to not be just taking you out back to the mob. You have that's to trust crazy. that he is transferring you out to a safe yeah. place. Yeah. Because he could not be. Right. He could be alley-ooping you to a, a lynch mob. Yeah. So when they say, oh, just coincidentally, same as my story. Oh, everybody, put your guns down. Don't shoot anybody. Oh, they just, this mob of civilians came into a jail and demanded something from police officers and they just left without incident. Nobody got hurt. Nobody got hit with a stick. You know, it makes me believe like, I don't know if there was that much conflict and threatening happening. They're going to walk in and walk out. Yeah. Well, they could have threatened them. They could have been like, it's possible. You're protecting this person. So we're going to take you you out too. You're an enemy too. It could be, it could have been that, but it just feels weird to, we told two stories in one episode where these guys just show up to places where people with badges and guns that they know how to use those guns, yeah. but in this scenario, they didn't use the guns. Just they just happened to defuse the situation just right, and everybody walked away. Nobody was hurt. You know, it's just they just but they just let them walk in and just search all the jails. Hey, okay, we're convinced that he's not here. Let's go. So Chelton was arrested at the late hour Sunday night by Sheriff Drayden and Deputy Four. I'm sorry, Fred Culver, charged with committing an assault on Thelma Hewlett, a white girl aged 14 years. 14 years old, a short distance from Princess Anne, about 9 o'clock Saturday night. The Negro was found at his home near the county seat, I'm sorry, near the county jail, and offered no resistance when confronted by the officers, Mm. but denied any knowledge of the crime and protested that he was innocent. So according to the girls, this is the girls' story here. Uh Uh, Again, I'm going to read, get a little more in depth when I get to the newspaper article, but from this website, um, this is her story. So she was returning to her home in a in a um horse wagon from uh from a country store accompanied by her brother who was five years old hewlett the hewlett family who are newcomers in the neighborhood live about five miles from princess anne the girl stated that the negro who was known to her asked for a ride and when she assented he jumped into the rear of the wagon and rode until she turned um, into what is known as the back road leading to her home. Chelton then got out and started walking or running or whatever in the direction of his house. Okay. So when Thelma had gone about 300 yards down the road, she stated the Negro appeared from some woods with an open, I'm sorry, with an open knife in his hand. So he came back. And commanded, 
her not to make any outcry or he would kill them both. So she's saying she gave him a ride. He jumped off and went in his own direction and then came back. And then met her 300 yards down the road and popped out of the woods and was like, I don't know, threatened threatened her and her brother? With a knife. With a knife. But, okay. But This was her story. Yeah, right. So initially... He he got on the thing and just got a ride, and yeah. then left, and then came back three hundred yards or so, whatever down the down the road some yeah. more. Met up with them again, jumped out of the woods with a knife, and reconfronted her. Yeah, this time assaulting her. Yeah, it, it, I mean it's, it definitely is confusing. Yeah, for sure. Um, so the article further reports that he jumped into the wagon and committed the assault. She made her way. Uh, she made her way home and told her parents. And the neighbor notified the sheriff, um, Dr. J.T. Smith of Princess Anne, was reportedly summoned to check on her on her on on her condition. So Chelton is known to have had criminal record, having served different terms in Maryland Penitentiary for various offenses. He was released from the state prison some months ago, following the completion of a sentence which he served for forgery in in the uh, in the county. So Chelton. Chelton, sorry, had elected a court trial, which was presided by by Chief Judge John John R. Patterson and Judge Roberts F. Doerr and Joseph and Joseph L. Bailey. It was all white. The, uh, the June eighth, nineteen twenty three issue of the Baltimore Sun reports, marking the first hanging in Maryland Penitentiary and making and marking a departure from the usual custom of hanging convicted men at daybreak. George Chelton Colored, convicted assailant of a young white girl last year in Somerset County, was hanged at 1239 this morning. So his execution took place in the in the newly erected death house at the Maryland Penitentiary built recently by order of the last legislator. So they just have a fucking a place where they hang a place people. where they they hang people called the death house. So, like I said, it was built recently by the order of the last legislator. During this last General Assembly, a bill was passed abolishing hangings in the counties of Maryland and making it um, obligatory uh, upon the state government to provide a centralized place for this purpose. So, Colonel Sweezy himself did not spring the trap. However, but two penitentiary officers attended to the details of the execution. There were few people present only a maximum of 12 witnesses required by law two physicians and colonel sweezy and the executioners so chelton was pronounced dead by dr williams f schwartz of the penitentiary and dr frank powers of the city jail 10 minutes after the trap had been sprung so he said there is no available printed description of the local reactions in prince princess Anne, but the crestfield times reported on the execution on the front page of his june 9th edition as an aside, next to the article was the story of a raid in Chrisfield by members of the KKK dressed in full, um, full uniform, locating an African-American named Jack Hall and turned him over to the chief of police for the charge of selling liquor. So he just about they just citizens arrest him. Vigilantes. And shit. Yeah. In, in the in the clan, whole uniform, whole uniform, for some bootlegging. Yep. Yep. But. It wasn't just for black people. They did the same thing um, to Wells, to a white guy named Wells Bond, which is a dope ass name. Wells Bond, 
was also later picked up by the Ku Klux Klan on similar charges. Um, Probably because they sell illegal liquor. They're getting rid of the competition. Messing, messing up my money. Yeah. Yeah, so it's not all about race, man, I guess. Well, it's about race and it's about money, too. Yeah. Sometimes, a lot of times, it's more so about money. You can make money from being racist or even just flirting with some racism. So there's money. Even people will be racist for money and just say things that racist people want to hear because those people will then buy their juice or uh, camping equipment or whatever. So oh, the president? Uh, yeah. On the day, so this is the day. <laughs> uh-huh. Yeah, go ahead. <laughs> this is the, uh, the newspaper article. So on the day of the assault, Thelma, accompanied by her little brother, and this, and this, these people say he was seven, but another one say he was five, but whatever, uh-huh. went to Prince, Prince, Princess Anne to make purchases for the home. Returning home about the middle of the afternoon, the mother found um, it necessary to send them to the store uh, for groceries. Mm-hmm. And the girl and the little brother driving a mule, um, and a, a mule and a Dearborn wagon began the trip of about three miles in length, making the purchases at the store. They started back home just after dark. At the beginning of the of their homeward trip, a colored man called them and asked if they had a load. The girl held up her her uh, lantern to see who it was and recognized George Chelton. So, in this article, Dave. I don't. I don't know. If they don't know each other personally, but they ran into each other. They recognize and, each other, right? And she knows his name from I don't know. I guess him around town. Or yeah, something. yeah, yeah. So she said that she recognized George Chowton, a young colored man who lived between the store and her house. Okay. About two miles down the country road, she had seen Chowton on two or three occasions beforehand, and had given him a ride on previous occasions. Okay. When taking the younger children um, of her family to school. Oh, that was all together. I'm sorry. So she seen him on many occasions and gave him a ride while taking the younger children to school. When the girl held up the lantern and asked, who are you? The Negro replied, it's George, the one you gave a ride to the other day. Thinking nothing strange, the girl told the Negro that he would ride. They put this in the newspaper, man. This is crazy. Yeah. The whole con- whole alleged <laughs> conversation, wow. the whole alleged conversation. Um, yeah. So they, thinking of the strange, the girl told the Negro that he would ride. He could ride in a wagon. And during the ride, the Negro talked agreeably to the girl and her little brother. So they was just. I mean, it's just, it was nothing. Just yeah. having, just chatting on the ride. Giving home. a ride to a neighbor. Arriving at the forks of the road leading from the main road to the Negro's home, Chelton thanked the girl for the ride. Uh, he got out of the wagon uh-huh. and disappeared in the direction of his house. Right. She said, when the team which the girl was driving had gone um, down the road about 100 yards, the girl was startled to see a Negro with a white handkerchief tied across his face. Now, this could have been just another person. For sure. Um, yeah, so she saw another dude with a handkerchief tied across his face come up from the rear of from the rear and jump into the wagon. He commanded her to put out the lantern and get down into the back of the wagon with him. The girl screamed a, ref- a refusal, a refusal, and the little boy began to scream also. Also, when the Negro drew a large knife and threatened to kill both of them, 
then grasping the girl um, by her throat and attempting to choke her into submission. He pulled her across the seat and into the back of the wagon where he overpowered her and accomplished his pursuit. So, um, and this one is, uh, to me, I think it was just another person. I don't, I don't see. I mean, the girl, I mean, the girl was clearly sexually assaulted or raped. that, That clearly happened. But I think that what happened probably is she went home, told this story, said, I picked up George Chettle. What's his name? Chelton. I picked up George Chelton on the way, gave him a ride, and then when I dropped him off, I got assaulted by some other dude. And, and I think that oh, her parents yeah, yeah. or her dad or whoever. It was him. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And so that became the story because there is no proof. Why would somebody show you their face, get a ride, you've gotten a ride before, and then this night he decides I'm going to jump off, run. Run down through the woods and put a handkerchief over my face and and you know what i mean like it just feels it feels weird yeah so still keeping the handkerchief about his uh about his face and talking in a dis in a disguised voice the negro told the girl and her little brother that he was a white man which is yeah that's weird what the fuck just trying to throw throw her off i guess yeah but if they can see i mean it was night the lantern got put down Eh. but that would tell me that you're not yeah I'm white. I'm, white. I'm a white man. <laughs> okay. Right. Uh, so he disguised his voice. Um, in a disguised voice, the Negro told the girl and her little brother that he was a white man and didn't belong around these parts. He also threatened to hang about the woods and to kill both of them if they made an outcry or told anyone of what occurred. In fear of their lives, the two children promised not to tell and were permitted to go on home. So arriving at their home, their mother was already you know, on alert because it was already dark and they it took them too long to get home. So the little brother sobbed out, talking about the details, experience experiences to uh, Dr. J.T. Smith of Princess Anne and was called to examine the girl and administer to her while neighbors telephoned. You know, they made their call, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. get everybody all riled up. Um, and, author- and authorities and neighbors were calling the news. They was, you know... It's it's everywhere now. Yeah. Um, the girl was most was was a most pathetic figure as she unfolded the details of her um, experience and broke down several times while grieving. While I'm sorry, while giving her testimony, she was followed on the witness stand by her little brother, a bright little fellow who told a clear, straightforward story of what occurred. The mother, Miss Hewitt, was the next witness and told of the girl's condition upon her arrival home and also her daughter's story of the crime. Um, at the time. So Dr. J T J Smith, a princess and the physician summoned to attend the girl told of her condition and, and, um, verified the fact that the brutality of the Negro was most evident from the examination. The girl being sadly lacerated by her, by her assailant. Mm. He also testified that the prints of the Negro's fingers could still be seen on the girl's throat. Again, like you said that I kind of, I didn't think about it being that way. Just still parents going, it had to be him. Yeah. Since you just saw him. I didn't think about that. I just, I was like, I was like, that's crazy for him to hop on. You know him. Yeah. Y'all having a conversation on the way home and he's, I'm, he tell you, you are, you know his name, but he tell you his name and you know where he lives at. Yeah. He lives in the middle of you guys, the trip or whatever. And then he goes, hops off and run down the, down the woods. And then and like, then, as if that was like, his intention crazy. was to pretend to be your friend that night, ride with you, talk or whatever. Right. And then be like, 
all right, well, I guess I'll see you later and then jump off and go run. It just, it just, it just seems like if that's what he wanted to do, he would have just done it from the get, you know, like that's what he would have led with. I would have, as opposed to this whole going and running down the road and putting on his handkerchief and all this stuff. It just seems like she probably just ran into another person with bad intentions. And then when she goes home and tells the story, the only name and face that she knows and can remember is George Chettles. Chelton's. Mm. So it was him. Yep. Whether it was her um idea or not for to come to that conclusion, I don't know. It could have been an adult who was like, it was him. And so we're just gonna we're gonna go with that because it just He's the last person you saw. Yeah. But so, I, yeah. Yeah. So what happened was um, after, you know, they get the beginning stages of this whole trial, they went and got, uh, I don't know, they didn't have a specific number, but they went and got a group of black, black guys. After they went and went to this guy's house and got him. Yeah. But she couldn't identify George by Shelton. face who it was. Right. But she said that just by voice, she recognized the voice of whoever one of these guys. And it was like, it's, that's him. Just based off voice. That's so unreliable. And she said he was doing a disguise. He was voice. disguised. Right, he disguised. That's what I'm saying. He's got his voice. He disguised his voice. But based on the voice, that's how she picked out who it was. Couldn't even, you know, my man was chilling in his crib. Right. So they went and got a bunch they of dudes. They just went and got. To, and be like, say this. Yeah. Got a bunch of dudes and got him because he was the last person that, right. you know, she saw. Not the last person she saw, but, you know, she mentioned his name or whatever because she gave him a ride. Yeah. But it was like, let's get him. Let's also get some other black people that's around here. Right. And then maybe set up to where it was like, oh, we picked him, uh, George Chelton, but. With reason. With reason. As opposed to like, we were going to pick him anyway. Right. <laughs> but, going to. Yeah. But right. we had all these other guys say, get in the back of the wagon. Right. And then she picked out George Chel- Chelton. Yep. George Chelton. So we already know what happens. He gets uh, convicted of assault on a 14-year-old white girl, mm-hmm. and he is lynched. He's hung yeah. to death. So Probably not. That probably wasn't the legal ruling, I would guess, right? No. Like, that's what happened. That's what the people did. No, 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 no. That was the legal ruling. That was his conviction was he lynched? Was, he was lynched. He was. Wow. It was all set up. They had physicians there, and the the damn. Uh, oh, in the death room. Yeah, in the death. Yeah, the death house. Yeah, yeah. Okay. When you say lynch, I'm thinking, you know, in my, well, that's yeah. how they that's how they put the story. They call it the summer the Somerset lynching. That's right. why I was like, but he was legally he was hanged. He was legally he was hanged. hanged. Yeah. yeah he was okay. Hanged. Got it. I'm yeah, thinking yeah. like they dragged they him out dragged of the him courtroom. Well, the they end. tried to, and I'm sure in the, in the beginning of the story. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. That was just a small story of you know one of the first. Um, they they keep saying lynching, but um, legally hung in the state of Maryland. Oh wow! Was George Chelton in nineteen twenty three? Um, there's a lot of more a lot more information. It's just the newspapers are so hard because it's like it's it's photocopied, but you're getting the you know it's the small strip. Yeah. But then you got the words on the side from mm-hmm. the different pages. You go like you like what the fuck? And it's all over the place. But um, that was just the most information I can find. It's those stories that's from that long ago, especially about. A black man assaulting some white girl and getting hung or whatever and lynched or whatever. It's yeah. so hard to find the information because it's just like it's lost to history, man. <laughs> it's lost. It's yeah. like well, that's what like I was saying. The thing about 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 time 
and suppression and um, just the whitewashing of history, man. Like things that are inconvenient or like um, not pretty or, you know, make people feel icky or like feel bad. You can't just not talk about them. It's American history, you know, like and if you don't pay attention to history, it's doomed to repeat itself. So I still have not done any thorough research about what critical race theory is. It's become such a fucking talking point. But if, if critical race theory is just saying like, hey, this is some fucked up shit that happened in this country and people don't want to talk about it because they don't want their kids to feel bad that white people did this or whatever. You know what I'm saying? Like if that's the, the, the fight back about critical race theory is like we don't want people to feel bad about being white, then that's pretty fucking childish. You know, because this stuff happened. And if you can't confront it and have an adult conversation about it and really, you know, discuss the implications and the way that, you know, families may have been destroyed, businesses that had a lot of potential had to be uprooted and moved somewhere else because they got ran out of a town and how that could affect wealth generationally for a whole family of people or dozens of families, thousands of families. If we can't have that discussion like adults because you don't want to feel bad, then that's pretty fucking immature, you know? So I, again, I don't, maybe I'm wrong. I don't fucking know what critical race theory is, but I I think that's what it is. It's just like the history of fucking raced up, messed up race, racist stuff in this country. And if it's like, if that makes you feel bad, then like, so what, you know, what makes me feel bad is like feeling the pressures of racism. Yeah. That makes me feel bad too. But I have to deal with that. I don't have a choice to be like, you know what, then, Hey, (laughs) you, you don't get to be racist towards me today. Like that's, I don't really, uh, I don't really want, yeah, I don't, that's a, that's a, it's one of my bugaboos. And so we're not going to do that today. I don't get to do that. So the idea that somebody can go, I don't want my kids learning about what white people were doing in 1865. Yeah. It's it's history, man. Like it's, it's what happened. You don't get to just be like, well, we don't like to say slaves. We like to say like, you know, indentured servants or, you know, like, you know, we, they would, we fed them, you know, you just like, and you keep. You keep manipulating history that way, and all of a sudden you get these fantasiful, oh, it was so fun. They were outside singing songs, and slavery was just like, it was like almost fun. Like, there was so much culture came from it, blues. Like, if you really wanted to tell the story of slavery in, like, a fun way, you could do it. You could be, oh, man, and hip-hop, it, it came, all of those elements of music came from slavery, and they were just outside getting great exercise and singing songs and, you know, getting married and stuff. And, you know, it was just good times. Like, everybody was eating and learning about Christianity. Like, it was so, it was such a great time. The country was thriving. Mm-hmm. Like, you could really tell it that way, and it might sound almost beautiful, but you got to be able to tell it the what happened. Yeah. And the... And, and what that kind of trauma does to people for, for generations. Like, if you leave that out, like, you just make it seem like people are walking around here crazy for no reason. Crazy and for just, none, yeah. oh, man, we just, just mad at nothing. You know, yeah. it's, it's, it's deeper than that, man. And, yeah. And I, I, you know, I just, uh, it makes me um, sad that, you know, a lot of the information that we go to look up when we go to look up these stories from 100 years ago or, even less than that, honestly. Like, yeah. It just is like hard to find any information yeah. about st- these like absolute atrocities and terrible things that happen. And it's like, there's no like real public record on them just readily available in right. detail because they just happen in some back alley and, and or some backwoods in Minnesota or in Arkansas. It just happened. And there's a bunch, there was a bunch of people there, but like, they don't want to talk about it now, you know? It's like, so it just was lost to time. So, Crazy, man. I was listening to I listened to the uh, 
the new um, Always Sunny Philadelphia podcast. And oh, I didn't know that was a thing. Yeah, and um, Glenn, I think, I think his name is Howerton. Yeah, mm-hmm. he um, Dennis. Dennis. He went to <laughs> he went to a school in um, he went to a high school in Montgomery, Alabama. Ooh, that's called that's deep in there. Jefferson Davis High School. Mac was when it was like. The fact that that school is named by that person is wild. And who is? Like, who is? Yeah. Who? Yeah. He was like a. He was like a plantation owner. He was like the, yeah, okay, the, got the it, uh, okay. Confederate States first president or whatever. Got it. Got it. He's got like it, yeah. the fact that they named that school to the dude in his school. lifetime. Like it, it's still named that. <laughs> yeah. Oh, still. It's oh, still, wow. Okay. Wow. Oh, yeah. He's like that's wild. Yeah, was, <laughs> it's a great name. Crazy, it's great, it's a great name. Great school. Crazy. Yeah, we're gonna change it. Why would we change it? Just because he did some stuff. Wow. It's still a great school. That's what they. That's the defense. Wow, man. <laughs> wow. Why are we naming schools that you know? Like Richard Simmons was a fun guy. Seemed like he was fun. He was a little shorts. He was always <laughs> good energy. Billy Blanks. You know, a lot of I like a lot of like workout guys. Yeah, Billy Blanks. Yeah, Tybo. He invented Tybo. Forgot about that guy. I made tapes. You know, I mean, black I people a, still got tapes in there. Commercial. Recently. Sixty tapes. Billy Blanks. Yeah. Probably was like a pair. I think he was in the subway commercial. He deserves a school to be named after him. He tried to get people in shape. He was trying to do something great for the world. <laughs> Same with Richard Simmons. He was like the first Planet Fitness because Richard Simmons wasn't in great shape. But he was like, as long as you're having fun, you like yourself, like we're all just... Wait, is Richard Simmons the guy with the puffy hair? Yeah, uh-huh. Oh, okay. He wasn't, he wasn't yoked. <laughs> but he was like, we're all just having a good time. Like, are you? do you feel good? I feel good. He was in good shape. He had like loose uh, shorts on, little shorts. Yeah, well, yeah. yeah. Oh, I mean, he had man. like a calisthenics body. Like, he had like yeah, a... Yeah, yeah, yeah. It wasn't... He wasn't He didn't veiny. weightlifting. Yeah, yeah, no, no. He had like a... Yeah, he, yeah. I'm not saying he was chubby yeah. or something. Billy Blanks was a bald head, muscle was a guy. was a was a muscle freak. Yeah, you know he was kicking and knees and stuff. So these guys, I think they deserve some schools named after him, not plantation owners yes. and stuff. Oh yeah, and defectors and yeah, losers. Yeah, yeah. But People compared to, then yeah, absolutely. Yeah, you know, I'd, I'd rather go to Billy the Billy Blanks Academy, <laughs> Richard the Richard Simmons fitness. Secondary School. No, <laughs> that's fine. You know, just fitness. Yeah, it's a Jim fitness Mara. school. Everything's like English. Slash <laughs> butterfly kicks, um, yeah. So, uh, you know, that was, that was a really uh, fucked up and interesting story, Fran. I wish that there was more. You know, I wish it was easier for you to do that research. Obviously, yeah. And, you know, I wish there was more information available. But you know, rest in peace to that guy. And you know, th- what happened to that girl? I, which you know, in my story, I don't know if it happened. In your story, she was. I definitely believe that she was assaulted by somebody. Yeah. And I think yeah, yeah. the rest just was like they needed somebody to be yeah. guilty. And so the last person she saw was who did it. And that's unfortunate. But that girl was still assaulted, and that's that's a tragedy. Absolutely. Now, was it probably a black guy? Probably. If you go up there and say, I'm, I'm a white, white guy. guy. Yeah, that's, probably. you know, I don't know the last but, time I heard a white guy go, I'm a white guy. But the way they do it in the process is like, that's the wrong way to do it. Yes. So you just going and picking just somebody. Picking somebody. Man, just no. laying down in his house. That was the person you gave a right to, is him. But that still happens today. Yeah, that's the fucked up part. It's like we're Sometimes not talking about killed in the house. Yeah, and we're not talking like we're not. That's the fucked up part. That's the part that makes it so fucked up. And I go into the whole critical race theory and all these discussions about history and all this stuff. We're not discussing like, man, it's fucked up how police used to do this. It's like no, the the criminal justice system will still try to make somebody guilty of something that they're not guilty of. And they're able to do it because it's not what you know; it's what you can prove. Mm. So if we can make, if we can put you somewhere in the vicinity around the time with not much evidence, more than like, uh, you know, secondhand witness or you know, eyewitness or voice, mm. voice, whatever you call that, you know, then you're the person that did it, and we can prove that. And even worse, at this point, it's like 
we want you to be guilty anyway because somebody has to be guilty for this. This this poor girl isn't just going to get sexually assaulted and nobody's guilty for it. So you did it. And whatever you have to do to prove that is going to be done. You know? So, yeah, it's 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 super fucked up. But we saw it with the Central Park Five. We've seen it countless times. We've told tons of stories on here where it's like they were later exonerated. Every day, the wrong, uh, the Innocence Project. Yeah. They do this work every day. A man was just freed. I think his name is Kevin Strickland. A man was just freed on November 23rd. He served like 40 years in prison for a crime he didn't commit. And now people are donating to his GoFundMe and it's up to You're like talking about the one that avoided the death penalty? Is that what you just said? I believe so. His name was Kevin Strickland. I don't know all the full details. It was like days before like Kim Kardashian and everything was involved in that one? Possibly. Yeah, okay. Possibly. Was, there's like a few of them that were happening over the last yeah. 30 days. Because it was like one, he was like, he's about to be executed in like five days. I don't know if that's the same oh. guy, but I do know of another young man who people were like, this guy is clearly innocent and they're about to kill him and yeah. the, the governor wasn't saying anything mm-hmm. and all this stuff. So it was a couple of people. But I know Kevin Strickland is now a free man and he served a substantial amount of time behind bars for a crime that he didn't commit. So this stuff is still happening, man. It's, it's not. We're not discussing like, oh, thank God. The, the system was reformed and this we're just telling these sad stories of how it used to be it's like no this stuff is still happening so you know it's just something to think about anyway let's not get too bummed out we're gonna go ahead and uh, jump into these good vibes <laughs> my thirty go. It's a good vibe segment. Um, my good vibe segment is about a guy who turns old tires into beautiful, cozy beds for six thousand stray dogs and cats in Brazil. Oh, so although common sense dictates it's best to let sleeping dogs lie, <laughs> nowhere is it written they can't they can't do so with a touch of panache. Mm. And if the beds they lie in are a boost to the environment and comfort to homeless pets so much the better hey why not yeah so this just this just what brazilian artist and environmentalist and animal lover um armildo silva was inspired to do after coming across a pile of used tires in his neighborhood a few years ago where some where some saw trash silva saw an opportunity for upcycling treasure that would wound that will wound up making a world of difference to street cats and dogs. After collecting the tires and giving them a thorough cleaning, Silva put his artistic vision to work fashioning, fashioning personalized pet beds. Once the custom paint job was complete with the addition of a hand-sewn mattress, hand-sewn mattresses, the colorful, comfy cots were ready to be distributed to local shelters. So Silva recycled um masterpieces proved so popular and is it is it niche or is it niche is that the same word it's the same word um i say niche okay but some people, some people some people say, say niche okay, yeah so a a niche market of eco-conscious pet owners sprang up as well so these these things is tires cut the top off them off paint them put put the uh soda mattress in uh-huh. or soda Little pad, plywood under. Oh, okay, yeah, the yeah, mattress. Yeah. Oh, got it. And then it's a little pillow. It's awesome. Yeah, it's, it's super awesome. So uh, to meet the growing demand, he launched um, Common House Pets and has since gone on to handcraft more than six thousand pet beds. Mm. To prepare each tire, he cleans them, c- 
cuts off the top with a jigsaw, covers the hole at the bottom with plywood, then sews his own cushions to make them cozy. He paints and stencils each one with bright colors. Cat's just chilling in it, just yeah, just laying there all happy. Uh, while retail sales have helped sustain his efforts, the majority of Silva's creations have gone to animals in need. That's awesome. Yeah. Uh, so is he making any money? He sells. He sells some of them, but then that for for the ones that he sells is it allows him to be able to give a lot of, of them away, oh, most of you. them away from what you're reading. Oh yeah. But yeah, so he sustains himself with some sales, but for the most part, he he's giving them away. Yeah. So the only way to do a great job is to love what you do. He was quoted as saying by my Martin Met. So man, it's just he got all these tires, man. It's, it's crazy mm-hmm. for somebody to walk past something and go to see just a, some pile of junk. Oh. When I whenever I see people can draw or paint or and do just, any woodworking, glass crazy, blowing. Man. You ever see somebody blow glass? No, what's that? Man, they take just like some glass, heat it up, it super super heat it, yeah. and then make it you know almost borderline liquid, and then they you know manipulate it into dragons and oh. all kind of shit, yeah. man. It's just people can look at something and make and then see what they want it to be. Is yeah. I'm incredibly impressed by because yeah, it's not a skill I have. Yeah, that's super dope though. But that's amazing to do that and then to do it for like just being mostly for where's... mostly for free and to help and and yeah like in an area where there's a lot of a lot of uh, pets on the streets yeah in, yeah in brazil for sure yeah. but i think that's super dope that he did that um like i said just to see a pile of junk and to go oh i can i can see you can take that and just do that yeah. do this with it and just, use and it turns out as an awesome project and it's like you create a job oh, for I yourself can, that's a super dope yeah he created a market for right. himself that's and super, it's yeah. just a and like it's in an article. It's just that that niche of just like a specific area where it's like well, not demand, but it's like nobody yeah. else is doing the same thing. Yes, no, for sure. So that yeah. puts you in a you're in the a guy. Yeah. You're the person doing that. Yeah. It's really awesome, man. Speaking of awesome things, before I get into my good vibe story, I just want to give a shout out to Black and Nerdy Designs. Yeah, uh, they sent us. Uh, I, I know who the person is. I don't know if they want their name said, so I'm just going to shout out their their business. Go support Black and Nerdy Designs. I would assume that has to be a, a functioning business if that's what they put on the postage. Yeah. Um, they made us. I got a shirt that says "Casual Conspiracy Consumer" yeah. on it. It's very soft material. Wait, I don't know. And I got a cool. We both got koozies that say "Affirmative Murder Episode 200." Yes, and Fran, your shirt says what? My shirt. <laughs> my shirt says, "Are dinosaurs real?" Our bodies in cemeteries. Doubtful. There you go. So that's yeah. that's Fran's thing. Yeah. And uh, it's very long-winded. And uh, <laughs> it's, it's like... It's just, but uh, there are there are real questions, though. Yeah, they I mean, they're real. you asked them, so I guess they are real. But real we'll move on from that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't, you know, I don't know if they... I think the answers are out there. No, um, they're lies. <laughs> lies are out there. My good vibe story, friend, is the as a, okay. Just follow me on this, okay? I want everybody to just follow me on this because this is good, and I'll explain why once I'm done. So this is a story about a assisted dying, okay? So in 1997, only Switzerland allowed their residents to decide if they wanted to end their life, but compassion for end of life sensibilities has seen that number rise dramatically across the West since 2015. Belgium, Luxembourg, Canada, New Zealand, Spain, the Netherlands. Colombia, Germany, Australia, Portugal, five Australian states, 10 American states, and D.C. have legalized assisted dying. Countries that are largely Catholic, such as Ireland, Chile, Italy, and Uruguay, are currently crafting legislation to follow suit. 
As The Economist reports, more and more people who have seen their relatives suffer through chronic or incurable illnesses and who may be worried they, ha- they might face the same fate are on the crest of a wave of activism to return the right to die to the individual, their doctors and families, rather than the state. In 2015, the state of Oregon passed the Death with, the Death with Dignity Act, which was copied internationally in places like New Zealand and all but once of the states in Australia. In the UK, three quarters of people support the right to die, though only 35% of participants of only 35% of parliament agrees. And so, so an Oregon like bill is unlikely to pass at the moment in Peru. The constitutional court recently ruled that a, a doctor's decision not to help a woman with, Degenerative polio in her life was a violation of human rights and a potential challenge to a ban is being made in the courts. Movements like the one for green funerals or for medically assisted uh, suicide are part of a changing attitude to death. Naomi Richards, an anthropologist, tells The Economist that now death should be for some people, an, an event to be scheduled and controlled. This is... <laughs> One of the founding principles of classical liberalism is was the right to self-ownership. One one owns the right and the fates of one's person. It's the ultimate vote of confidence in not only the sovereignty of the individual, but in the principles which many of the Western countries were founded upon. So I feel like that's good news. Um, the example that was put forth, I really believe in. I don't think people should be made to suffer. If you don't want to ride out this thing called life any longer, that's your decision. It's your life. And I think that we're on a path that I feel like if you want to check out, that is your that is your absolute right to do so. Specifically, if you're in immense levels of pain and it's only suffering. Mm. People with ALS, people with these degenerative muscle you know, types of diseases, severe cancer in the bones bladder cancer and these ter- these awful things if you don't want to put up the fight anymore you've done everything you can you you want to die with some dignity you want to say goodbye to your family have a last hurrah and then you know call it a day i think that's your right to do that if it's your body you should be able to do whatever you want your body your choice right i think that that falls into the same category as abortion and i don't think we have any right to question a woman's right to do with their body with the, that's their body they should get to, they do what they want to do with their body and i think that that i think that that's across the board and so in this example, I feel like, you know, we're stepping, it's a right step in the right direction because they lambasted Dr. Kevorkian, man. He was just trying to help people. They made him out like he was some kind of serial killer. Dr. Kevorkian was just trying to help people that didn't want to be alive anymore. Mm. My whole uh, internal memory of Dr. Kevorkian in pop culture is like he was this rusty saw wielding murderer when in reality he was, people were asking him to do this. Still killing people. No, he's helping people die, and there's a difference. Okay. So um, I think that's just, I think that's a really cool step in the right direction and sovereignty and autonomy. If you you know it's your body, your choice, and if you don't want to be here anymore, I think you have every right to call it quits. So I think that was I think that's a um, a really interesting. It might not be happy and all this kind of stuff. Yeah, but it was a good vibe. Yeah, it is, but it is good vibes though because I don't think people should be made to suffer if they don't want to suffer. So I think that the, I think that there's something good about that. That's yeah, just my personal. Be fear. death though. It could have been something else. You know, hey man, you told your story. I told my I didn't say anything about you know I didn't say anything about your story. You know, my story was very uplifting to some. You didn't like my story? Well, I liked it. I just said I don't know if everybody liked it. I don't know if everybody's gonna like mine. People like pets. 
Well, Mike Vick doesn't like pets. Anyway, um, wow. uh, <laughs> that was low hanging fruit. That was messed up. All right, we'll move forward. Hey, Fran, you watching anything on TV lately? I started watching um, Hawkeye. Have you started watching it Who? yet? Hawkeye. Oh, I didn't start watching it yet. Okay. I didn't get a chance to yet, but I'm definitely going to check out a couple episodes. Yeah. Um, I heard, I'm hearing good things already. Yeah. Um, I really like Haley Steinfeld. I think she's really talented. She's in this movie called The Edge of 17. It came out like probably like 10 years ago at this point. And I think it's really like a modern day. Um, pretty in pink, sixteen candles type, but those kind of like um romantic comedy high school movies that people reminisce from the eighties, like mm-hmm. they don't make them anymore. I think the Edge of Seventeen, I think uh Duff, the Duff, those are two movies where I'm like these are these are great movies. I don't I think these are like timeless movies and people don't talk about them enough. But anyway, um I started watching Dope Sick. I was actually watching it on the way you coming in here, and um I watched it because Georgia Hardstark was talking about it on a recent episode of My Favorite Murder. And it's uh, it's a TV show that chronicles the real life story of how the opioid crisis happened in America. Mm-hmm. And it is I'm only on episode one, but the first episode is so captivating, like because it's all a true story. But the way that this one family who owned the like the brand of cotton, mm-hmm. like oxy like oxy cotton, it was something else before that, and they decided that they were gonna try to make pain remedy an everyday thing like you know if your elbow hurt in 1985 your doctor might give you tylenol Mm. but they were like it's wrong for your doctor to not be trying to get you to not feel pain and that campaign worked on people where they were saying you shouldn't be going through life with you know your back hurts or you know you have a bruise you shouldn't have to feel that stuff why why should people have to live with pain and that pitch worked and and killed countless people mm-hmm. made these made this family incredibly wealthy and really destroyed the fabric fabric of american society in my opinion i mean the opioid epidemic affects so many families it's, it's awful and this was just all some family being like what if we made a pitch where we just made uh opioids kind of like an everyday use that little idea destroyed sections of america so dope sick is a really interesting show i've really been watching that it's really fascinating and that Adele dropped right on time for um, Sad Season. So, <laughs> been listening to that. She's okay. She laid her ex-husband out in Did one she? of those songs. Boy, she's like, I just wanted you to be the best version of yourself. You don't even want to be the best version of yourself. I can't help you think you're cool. I was like, damn. Shit on him then. Mm. Um, between that and Summer Walker, man, they're not playing around. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, so Hawkeye. Definitely have to check out Hawkeye. Again, thank you to Black and Nerdy Designs. So, you know, support black business. Go check that out. I'm sure they have a, a, a Instagram or something. Designs is with a Z at the end because it's funky. And uh, <laughs> thank you for the shirts. They're super awesome. And, yeah, yeah man, I hope everybody enjoyed their Thanksgiving. And, uh, yeah, I'm getting faded at Chuck E. Cheese tomorrow. So I'm really excited. Let's get this done so I can get to sleep. And that's the sooner that Chuck E. Cheese time will come. So um, I've been Alvin Williams, joined as always by my partner in true crime, Francel Evans. And we'll see you guys next week. This is... <laughs>